Welcome to Life to the Full, a message to Christians. This is a podcast about the abundant life that God promises in Scripture. We want to inspire those who are frustrated with themselves and their communities to live a transformed life that will impact the world. Our primary purpose is to be a platform that will impact the world through conversation. We want to invite others to connect and unite in curiosity, vulnerability, and responsibility. A transformed life is about growth, learning, and evolving. A transformed life leads to transformed communities, and transformed communities impact the world. One conversation at a time. Welcome back to Life to the Full. Good morning, afternoon. <laughs> you having like your VIP kids uh, voice. Hello, kids. That I've, I never actually got to even teach a class. <laughs> well, you use that voice when you do youth programming. Do today. I? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you yeah. have a, a voice. A I'm persona. so YMCA. Oh, boy. Anyway, so we are into our gospel series. Yep. This is part two. And, uh, numero dos. Numero dos, for those who don't. Numero dos, mi amigos. <laughs> de blaca. You know, hopefully one day we'll be able to translate these podcasts. That would be fun. That would be mm-hmm. so much fun. Not by us. I mean, it could. It could be by us. El Spirito Sancte. <laughs> Goal! <laughs> if you love soccer or what the rest of the world calls it, football. That's right. Uh, please let us know. Uh, you could, you know, follow us at Instagram. We're at whysuperstars.com where we post. Well, at least, no, sorry. Scratch that. I post <laughs> at least two to three times a day. You will see Senor Zito. Um, he's my model, basically. For oh, God. Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I apologize in advance. <laughs> so, babe, I know we start with what you're drinking today. Yeah. Uh, I think it's the same thing, right? Pretty much coffee. Uh, <laughs> you know, started something new that's kind of taking up a lot of my time. So, uh, taking a few days off here just to recenter myself and reconnect and uh, hopefully get some podcasts in the books so we can uh, be all prepped out kind of for the rest of the year so we can focus on some other things that we're doing yeah and we don't know when are you listening to this it could be summer of 2022 or something like that uh but welcome welcome Welcome. to uh life the full podcast we are the zitos uh and we are in the season of facing our responsibility we started in April of 2020 with the uh, season of listening and staying curious. What? I didn't hear you. <laughs> Followed by our summer of increasing our vulnerability. And now we're I'm in- vulnerable. <laughs> yeah. And now we're in facing your responsibility. Our first series there was Heaven and Earth, which we're still in the same topic as we sort of as we transition, into, transition the into the gospels yep so can you give us a little recap honey on uh part one even if they, if they don't get a chance to go back to part one of yeah. this series i think most christians uh most non-christians who think they know what christianity is would say uh that this whole bible jesus church thing you know is about heaven and hell where you go when you die mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, uh, one of my favorite books on this whole topic is 
A New Heaven and a New Earth Middleton. by Middleton. I, I think we've recommended this book yes. several times. Mm-hmm. But in the opening pages, he has the best uh, subtitle ever that's that's throwing so much shade. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. It's, it's awesome. It's called Singing Lies in Church. Wow. That's yeah. right. I remember. So you could say, like, some fine morning when this life is over, I'll fly away Mm. you might be flying away but if you are you're gonna miss jesus on his way down to earth earth. (laughs) with god and uh the heavenly host um so are you saying that when i die i'm not flying somewhere you're not flying anywhere magical place in heaven no no got it okay so i don't believe that either that is okay that's good Mm -hmm. yeah keep going yeah uh kind of as we you know talked a little bit about last time we were here uh, you know, and really this whole facing responsibility se- uh, season is, you know, if you're going to say you're a Christian and you're going to continue to to live out your life saying, I am a Christian, this is what I do. You need to follow Jesus into the things that Jesus followed into, into the what we would call the Old Testament, which he would call the Hebrew scriptures, and see that the entire story of the Bible, right, isn't about heaven and hell. It's only really mentioned 15 times, yeah. hell in particular in the Bible, yeah. only in the New Testament. Uh, we may or may not get to look at some of those today. Uh, but the story really seems to be about at one time, heaven and earth are, were joined. There was some overlap, mm-hmm. right? God's space and man's space uh, overlapped uh, in the Garden of Eden in these temple-like garden spaces. And that something fundamentally went wrong. And that was that was changed. That relationship was changed. Man's space was separate from God's space. Mankind went their own way, or humanity went their own way, and that kind of led to an increase of blood guilt, of the shedding of blood, of evil across the face of the earth as man went their own way and tried to determine right and wrong for themselves mm-hmm. instead of getting that from God. And the whole story of the Bible seems to be the creation of these temple-like spaces, these yeah. return to Edens, gardens. Uh, there's a lot of garden imagery in these temples, right? Mm-hmm. Where heaven and earth come together again. And the tragedy when they come back from Babylon, right before we get into the New Testament, is that God's spirit has not returned. Mm-hmm. There's that absence. Right. And then Jesus arrives on the scene, and Jesus is described in temple language as if the spirit of God is coming into a person filling it like a temple. Jesus seems to create little garden spaces wherever he goes. Mm-hmm. Places of healing, of restoration, of peace, of harmony. Yeah. Right? Evil spirits can't abide in his presence. Mm-hmm. He removes them. Right. You know? So that's kind of the entire story of, of the Bible in a nutshell. That's its main major plot points. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is hard to see when you're so zoomed in that you're focusing on the small little practical application uh, in your little personal Bible devotion studies, or if you're looking to do a sermon or a, a Bible talk or something where you're kind of just looking for, okay, I'm going to give you guys something to do. Right. It's hard to see the whole story. I personally feel the entire story is much more compelling mm-hmm. than, okay, this is what I need you to do, right. or this is what I think my church needs to change. Right. This is where I think uh, these are the personal list of things that are annoying me personally lately, so I'm going to go through these and try and change them. And my people, 
I think the entire story is much more compelling. That's what you're saying to most preachers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember being there, too. I remember constructing my Bible talks and my messages um, when I was a volunteer leader mm-hmm. around, okay, like, what's annoying me the most about my group today? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I can't just, like, talk to them mm-hmm. about, like, <laughs> what I'm feeling, right, or what I think is wrong in their lives. I'm going to just preach a global message, and I'm going to let them connect the dots. Because right. that worked. Absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> never. It never really worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, you it's know. a good way to get frustrated. Yeah. Uh-huh. One of the lessons I learned from Tim Ferriss in his book, The 4-Hour Work Week, your level of success can be defined by the amount of uncomfortable conversations mm-hmm. you're willing to have. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hate having uncomfortable conversations, <laughs> as you may have uh, noticed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you tend to excel much more in those. You're like, Ooh, okay, I'm going to call someone. We're going to get into conflict. It's going to be great. They're going to be my best friend. Yeah. I'm like, huh? <laughs> no. I'm an Irish Catholic. We just hold all of our emotions in our heart, in in our bodies, and then we die. That That's our big plan for dealing with life, yeah. which is a terrible plan. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's still in there. Yeah. That's, what, that's my default setting, uh, you know. So it's hard to see when you're trying to use the Bible almost as like a cudgel, or what is that? like a like a club. Oh, okay. When you're trying to use it to correct yes. behavior. Yes. Uh, the Bible is not meant to be an audit tool. Right. You're not supposed to be able to go into your life and audit your life mm-hmm. and audit other people's lives. Mm-hmm. There's something bigger yes. happening here, which is honestly why the Bible has such a lasting appeal, mm-hmm. because cultures change over time. And the values of those cultures also change over time. So, you know, none of us really are picking up the Egyptian Book of the Dead and saying, okay, like, how is this helping my life right mm-hmm, now? Mm-hmm. Those things aren't really relevant. They're interesting. They're compelling in their, some, yeah. in their own ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I just heard a lecture from, uh, what's his name, Jordan Peterson, mm-hmm. where somebody was asking him, well, what about the validity of other cultures' sacred texts? Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, I'm not really prepared to talk about that stuff yet. Like, I, I did a deep dive into Sumerian uh, myths, and, like, I've never really fully recovered. Because mm-hmm. he found them to be compelling in their own way mm-hmm. when he really got into them. Uh, but, you know, in terms of most people today on the face of the earth, we're not really focused on other ancient documents. You know, because the lasting appeal of the Bible is not as an audit tool of values of whatever society in time and space that you tend to find yourself, right? It, it's a bigger, mm-hmm. it's a bigger story. Right. It's the story of us, mm-hmm. really. It's the story fundamentally of fundamental truths about our existence, yeah. fundamental questions that we've been wrestling with since the beginning. Some yeah. of these stories are old. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some fragments in the first stories of Genesis that possibly go back deep into time, you know, especially where it seems like we're just getting a fragment of a story or a passage about Enoch walking with God. Like, what is that? You know, these seem to be deep, deep stories where the biblical authors just picked out a few lines, right, to communicate some deeper truth that's still compelling to us today. So the grand story of the Bible, and then you get to the gospel. Right, because most people when they first encounter uh, the Bible and Christianity, they're not going to Leviticus. Right, they're going to Jesus. They're going to the Gospels. They're going to Paul. Right, they're not diving in and necessarily hearing the whole story. 
So it's very easy to get the gospel message wrong. And unfortunately, it's my opinion, it's my belief that most Christians in Christianity have never actually really experienced the gospel. Uh, As N.T. Wright said in his book, uh, Simply Good News, Mm -hmm. um, most people have traded the gospel for advice. They think of Christianity as advice on how to live a better life, Mm -hmm. how to be a better person, how to be a better better father uh, in whatever uh, culture and society they're in versus like what the gospel actually is the story of god fulfilling his promise to israel through jesus right and god redeeming his people through what jesus did on the cross god doing what israel was supposed to do go into the darkness and then lead the world out of the darkness on the other side but was unable to do through the person of jesus his life his death and his resurrection and the legacy he left behind Um, so then when you see the whole story, it's like, you know, I think most people think the gospel is, okay, here I am on earth. I'm living my life. I'm doing my thing. Okay. And eventually I'm going to die and whatever I, I need to make sure I think the right things before I die and I say the right words or I do the right things because after I die, if I've done all the right things, if I've said the right prayers, if I believe the right things, I'm going to go to a good place called heaven and I'm going to escape the bad place called hell. And unfortunately, for even if there's good people out there, if they don't believe in Jesus, they're also going to that bad place called hell, right? Mm-hmm. And in my Catholic tradition kind of added a little caveat of, okay, like there's this elevator that you could ride called purgatory that if you weren't, uh, you know, a mass murderer, if you weren't some super evil person like Hitler or Osama bin Laden, right, we're going to put you in this little elevator called purgatory and over time you're going to get up to heaven, which isn't an idea. From our tradition, our tradition is kind of more like black and white. You're going to heaven or you're going to hell. You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. There's no in between. Mm -hmm. Right? You can't be sort of pregnant. Right. Right? You're either damned or you're saved. Yep. And what what does that mean? You're either in the kingdom or out of the kingdom. Right. Where the Bible seems to paint more of a story... Uh, where it's different. There's, this is the story of heaven and earth becoming one. And we looked at Jesus' words, the gospel according to Jesus last week. Mm-hmm. Jesus was talking about, you know, the kingdom of heaven has come near. The time of the restoration of all things is at hand, you know? And so heaven coming to earth, right, in Jesus, ultimately, which, you know, I don't know if I, I fully done enough work here to understand necessarily what this means, it does seem to be clouded in very murky language as well. What do you mean by murky language? Like the Bible is not necessarily very clear on how, when Jesus comes back, what's that going to look like? Or how all things are going to be restored. Okay. Uh, I think it's pretty... What do you mean, like, what's the word murky? What is it like it's mean? hard to see. Oh, okay. It's hard to fully understand what they're saying. Okay. Because I think what the biblical authors are more concerned with is, like, now. Mm-hmm. Like there's a story of Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? He's the short guy that climbed the tree. <laughs> yeah. Why are you laughing? Because my husband is shorter than me, but he does not like to admit it. Mm. He's one inch short. No, I don't think so. We're, we're about the same height. Even Stevens. Drop a comment at Why Superstars on Instagram. No, no one cares. But anyway, <laughs> so the story of Zacchaeus, apparently he was short and he wanted to see Jesus. So he climbed up a tree. Yeah. Right? And Jesus saw him in a tree. You know? So much illusion there. It's like, how could you not, like, 
talk about it, but we're going to skip all of, over all of the symbolical language used there now. And we're going to focus on the fact that when Zacchaeus came down uh, and he repented, right, he gave, he said he gave away, he repaid back everything that he took uh, wrongly as a tax collector, and he gave back even more than what he took. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, salvation today has come to this house. Curious statement, don't you think? He's not saying salvation in the future. Right. You're going to go to heaven. You're going to be saved when you die. It's salvation now. There was some type of fundamental shift that happened in Zacchaeus's life that changed him in such a radical way that in a very real sense, according to Jesus, not according to my ideas, right. but according to what Jesus said, salvation came to Zacchaeus that day. And it's interesting because I think most people, when they read that story, you hear a word like salvation and you immediately project that into the future. Hmm. You immediately say, yeah, I'm, I'm tracking with this. I understand this story. Zac- when Zacchaeus dies, he's going to go to heaven. But that's not the story of the Bible. And that's not what Jesus is saying. Right. Jesus is saying <laughs> salvation has come to your house mm-hmm. today. You know, and to his house means even the people who were in his house. If he had slaves, if he had people who worked for him, um, you know, in the class we just took. Um, Jonah. No, the other one with. Oh, Cynthia. Yeah, Cynthia. I can't oh. think of the name. Everyday right Israel. Everyday life in ancient Israel. Ancient Israel. Mm-hmm. The concept of the household is yeah, much bigger yes, 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 than yes. just the nuclear family exactly. that we would think of today. Exactly. So when Jesus is saying, you know, today salvation has come to your house. There's lots of people in there who didn't necessarily do anything. Yeah. So what does that mean? Mm-hmm. So salvation, the reunion of heaven and earth, that those little garden spaces, those little, little clean pockets being created by Jesus and what Jesus is inviting us into. Is it possible that they actually affect people regardless of their choice? Mm-hmm. If you're a new human being, if you're part of the new humanity, mm-hmm. And you have Jesus' spirit inside of you. You're a stone in the living temple, as we look like, as we looked at in the Heaven and Earth series. Is it possible your life actually acts as a blessing yes. to people around you, yes. regardless of whether or not they even know who Jesus is? Yeah. Regardless of whether or not they've ever picked up a Bible. Wow. I think, yeah. Because mm-hmm. that's... That's what it seems to happen in the New Testament. And the Zacchaeus example is not the only example. There's example in the book of Acts where entire households were baptized that day because of the decisions of one person. Uh So there's this concept that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, heaven and earth becoming one, affects almost the entire creation. And ultimately, when Jesus returns, it's going to affect the whole world, the yeah. whole universe. Yeah. Right? It's so crazy. And I hope that, just like the example that you gave in, that when we zoom in so closely to certain scriptures and we try to just grab one scripture and apply it right away with this application, um, messes us up, right? Mm-hmm. But zooming out to looking at the overarching yeah. Um, story of the Bible help us to see and connect. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm thinking about the household example you just gave, 
I know in our tradition, we put so much pressure on ourselves to go and save everyone at your yeah. household. Right? Like we put we zoomed in on us in 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 an unhealthy way. So when we look at, at the when we zoom out and look at everyone and we look at our household and we look at the dynamics or just like of of people in relationships, the it's less pressure on the individual. I don't know if I'm making sense here, but just kind of, I wanted to grab that zoom in story to because I'm thinking about our moms. If you don't know, we live in the mom sandwich. <laughs> My mother's downstairs. <laughs> That's not as weird as it sounds when <laughs> and you first Jimmy's hear it. mother lives upstairs. We have a separate apartment. Yeah, and and so when we look at the whole household, yep. and we look at what each person's contribution it is. Uh, it's very different than zooming in on this guilt and this pressure that you could put on yourself if you are ne- currently living, let's say, with a parent uh, or parents or an uncle or a grandma or a grandfather, you know, to change them. No, change yourself, right? Just And then also, um, it's, less, it's less stress. No, I, I think it's good because there is an idea of the blessing that is brought to people. Uh, by the actions and the decisions of individuals, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of other people. And it, I think it's easier to think in reverse. Mm. Like I think if you think of a family member who has struggled with uh, addiction to drugs and alcohol, okay, right? Mm-hmm. And those cast long, long shadows. And for many years, drug uh, addiction issues were primarily focused on the individual who was suffering from the drug or alcohol addiction. But then people realized that there was a lot of trauma that was not being addressed by the people who were the closest Mm -hmm. to that person who struggled with the addiction. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, groups were formed and, you know, a lot of good has come out of treating the other people who are in the vicinity of somebody who's suffering from an addiction to drugs and alcohol, uh, as well as the person who's also suffering from the addiction. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So in a negative way, one person's uh, decisions, one person's life mm-hmm. story mm-hmm. casts a shadow on parents, on siblings. Sorry, I could go in generations. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And so I think it's it's easy for us to see it in a negative way. But in a positive way, I think, you know, if you've ever had a boss that was really, really great, mm-hmm. you know, uh, for whatever reason, Mm-hmm. That person also casts a long shadow, right? But in a good way, right? But their example versus by that boss change, trying to change you, yeah. there's a big difference. And instead of calling saying that they cast a, a large shadow, you could even say that they bring light mm-hmm. into their organization. Mm-hmm. They bring life, mm-hmm. and a lot of times when that person leaves, and if they're replaced by somebody who isn't a light, you know. It can damage the organization in ways that you you wouldn't imagine. Right. You know, you'd be like, oh, well, this person on paper is super qualified for this role. Mm -hmm. But maybe, you know, they're just not as, they don't have as much integrity. Mm -hmm. They don't care about their people Mm -hmm. as much. Um, They they have their own issues that they're bringing into the organization. And, you know, it, it can cast a shadow. And so I think, you know, in a way, our presence in the world should be a blessing. 
Right. And unfortunately, when I look at the history of the church, I don't see that globally. Right. I don't see a light being brought into the world. I see shadows. Mm-hmm. I feel like the long history of the church is one of ghosts and, you know, shadows and darkness. So let's uh, maybe be more specific here. Sure. Because I, I think that some people may say, well, I give to the poor. Um, well, I go and garden at a park. Uh, I go and give food. I, I, I'm doing all these things. Um, I'm actually contributing. Of course, I'm a light in my job. I'm a Christian. So what do you what do you mean that we're doing the opposite? Well, I think you have to look at your light. Mm-hmm. And you have to say, well, what is your light doing? Mm-hmm. Is your light a silent condemnation mm-hmm. of the world or a vocal condemnation of your mm-hmm. coworkers or the people that's in it? Um, if you never open up your mouth, would people know that you were a Christian? Yeah. Do actually people know that you're a Christian? Right. Do they know that you're different? Right. You know, are you a blessing to people or are you a burden? Right. And I would even go to say with, okay, because what what you said without opening your mouth brought up something. Um, it's that we believe that do, 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 doing, 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 it's how others are going to see us. Mm-hmm. So there is a difference between being and doing. Yeah. So what you said is key because it's not the things that you're doing, like praying in your works cafeteria, um, wearing I love Jesus t-shirts, you know, because I think people, when they say, <laughs> uh, they're seeing that you're a Christian without saying anything, they, they could think that it's by doing things, posting scriptures on Facebook or on Instagram, that that qualifies you to be Christian. And when I think about when we were breaking down the word of sin and missing that mark to our calling, it's when we're not going back to the title of our podcast, living life to the full, to to our God-given potential, mm-hmm. right? To our contribution to humanity. Um, that's a way that we're showing what our contribution contribution is, and it's authentic, and it's to us specifically. And we're not trying, and we're not do- we're being. We're in the path of living our life to the full according to our individual potential and strength. And so when you said those things, I kind of want to like stop as we're saying them because there's a way of some people can take and be like, yeah, I'm 100% with you. Mm -hmm. And we're we're done with that. We're not. We're not on the same page. I'm not sure if this is a good episode to say that we have taken a step back from attending our traditions meetings because we're not on the same page that is not what's being preached and we are going to face our responsibility to take a stand on what the bible is saying and teaching people about that yeah yeah i think it's it's important and i think it's a difficult concept to wrap your head around Especially when you've read the Bible for so long and filling in those gaps with what you think you already know. Yeah. You know, and I think um, 
when I say that people should know that there's something different about you and that your greatest testimony you could ever give is your life, your living sacrifice, as Paul wrote in Romans, I mean it. I really mean it. Uh, I don't feel compelled even a little bit to go save people from hell. Right. When they die. I do feel compelled to, you know, help people escape hell that they may be experiencing right now. Right. The hell that I might be experiencing, even as a Christian. Right. Uh, the hell that... The true definition of casting demons. The hell that is a personal responsibility mm-hmm. that is choosing to live your life in a way where you're deciding what's right and wrong versus what God's deciding right and wrong is. When you're deciding what your purpose is versus letting God tell you what your purpose is. And God telling you the whole purpose takes a few thousand pages. <laughs> and it's a big story that you need to sit down, you need to listen to. Mm-hmm. Is the Bible clear? Yeah. Is it simple? No. No. Mm-hmm. It's not, this isn't for kids. <laughs> this isn't something you can just listen and you can walk away just telling telling you what to do. And that it goes the same that your life is what what's most important to your children, not these uh, children's ministry lessons and packages that we create for them, including songs. <laughs> yeah, that they're going to remember. I mean, if your child is between yeah. ages one and eight, you're you're laying a foundation mm-hmm. with the things that they're singing. And I, I know a lot of people would would fundamentally disagree disagree with me with this, but my my take on youth ministry is I don't want to necessarily teach them anything at all. Right. I want them to know how much we love them. Yeah. I want to have, I want to laugh with them. Yeah. I want to cry with them. Mm -hmm. I want to do life with them. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, are we going to talk about the Bible? Yeah, we are. Mm -hmm. But am I going to, you, do I want their memories of the Bible to be uh, an authority figure in their life or an older person? Using that as a weapon to hurt them. Mm. No, I don't. Mm -hmm. I want their memories of the Bible being stories. Mm -hmm. Being something that they think about. Questions that... A tool that we use to ask the big questions in life. Mm -hmm. What are we doing here? Mm -hmm. What is this all about? Mm -hmm. What does this mean? Yeah. You know? And not band-aiding Jesus loves you. Yeah. (sighs) Not band-aiding Jesus loves you. And, you know, I think, you know, Jesus is pretty clear... You know, in different places, the one that I always come back to is John 17, where he talks about, let them be one as we are one, God Mm -hmm. praying, Jesus praying to God the Father, uh, so that the world will know Mm -hmm. that you sent me. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Because how can you tell somebody, how can you prove somebody that you're unified? That's kind of like Jesus' strategy there for the world knowing Mm -hmm. what's happening here. Mm-hmm. The whole story of Jesus mm-hmm. is that those who come after him will be like one, be unified in love. Mm-hmm. That's not something you can sit down and argue somebody with. That's not a good debate topic. <laughs> That's quite the opposite, right? It's it's only apparent through the way people live their lives. You have to spend time with people. You have to live with people. You know, Paul even says this. We were delighted not only to share the gospel with you, but our very lives as well. He lived with the people that, you know, he shared the gospel with. He served them. 
He ate with them. He did life with them. Mm -hmm. And through that, you know, again, he was talking to Jews who had the story. So that was kind of easy, <laughs> you know, because they're, they're kind of speaking the same vocabulary. And through that, even to the Gentiles, he was able to, you know, tell them about Jesus by being a great human being with them in their communities. And people would be like, Paul, what is going on with you? And it led to conversations and it led to teaching and it led to following Jesus into the scriptures and out the other side into the new humanity and new life that's promised in scriptures. So I think, you know, a lot of people may be hearing this for the first time mm -hmm. or when you realize this the first time, honestly, by just reading your Bible, uh, most likely you'll have some type of crisis of faith, especially if you're in a tradition like we come out of yeah. where, you know, there was a heavy emphasis on we're saving the world from hell. Yep. Our families are going to hell. Yep. Our friends are going to hell. Everyone's going to hell. They need what you have. Uh, you're, you know, you're a miserable sinner. You're going to be a miserable sinner your whole life. But one day when you die, you're going to be with Jesus. He's going to make everything better. You come to a point where you're like, well, well, then what? Mm -hmm. You know, and I think you can you can come to this. You can, you know, either you're hearing something like this for the first time. Uh, you're reading an N.T. Wright book where it's all over the place. Or you're, you're looking at something online. You're doing the Bible project. And, you know, these things are spelled out for you, you know, much clearer than I feel like I ever could. Uh you know, one of my own story of this, of realizing that hell isn't what I, I thought it was, was looking at the word behind hell that's often translated into hell in the New Testament. Good way to get started. So uh, sometimes it's Sheol, which is just the Jewish concept of death. Okay. It's just death, really. S-H-E-O-L. S-H-E-O-L, I believe. Uh -huh. Sheol, um, there's some concept of it being like a pit, the underworld, uh, just a place where you go when you die. Mm -hmm. um, when Samuel, well, no, sorry, not Samuel, when Saul went to visit the witch of Endor, right? He called Saul's Samuel's spirit up from the ground. Samuel's spirit was seen to be coming up from Sheol, from the depths. So it's like the idea of a pit. Uh, or a place of wandering. There's the concept of Hades, which, again, Hades does not mean hell. Hades means death. And it's a Greek conception, and it means either like a place of punishment or a place of reward, depending on how you lived, which sounds eerily similar to the way most Christians view the afterlife, right? Didn't you say it was called dualism? Dualism, yeah. Uh -huh. You know, so you had a you had the god of the underworld. Uh, depending on the way people behaved in their lives, they were either punished or they were rewarded. Uh -huh. um, so that was kind of like a very Greek idea. Uh -huh. You know, um, that you know, there's going to be ultimate some type of ultimate justice. Yeah. You know, you can even go back to about 500 years before Jesus. The ideas of Plato and Socrates and the cave. And all that, all that stuff. 
that's more Greek than it is Christian, but especially in the Middle Ages, a lot of that stuff really took hold. And especially in the West, Western Christianity, it became all about heaven and hell and purgatory and all this stuff. And uh, N.T. Wright um, was talking about sitting in the Sixtine Chapel where they have like this huge fresco that kind of shows the judgment, mm, you know, people yeah, yeah, going yeah. to heaven and people going yes. to hell. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how he was sitting with a Greek priest, a Greek Orthodox priest, and he was pointing to the frescoes all over or the paintings all over the chapel and he's like okay there's there's god and adam i get that there's uh you know jesus's death and resurrection i get that i don't get that and pointing to the ultimate judgment of heaven or hell he's like we don't teach that in the east mm. that's something you guys started saying a long time ago and like i i don't see that in my bible <laughs> and nt Wright is kind of just like yeah he was kind of right mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just not there mm-hmm. uh but, you know, there does seem to be, like, especially Jesus, he seems to be concerned with hell. He, he, you, know, you can, Jimmy, I can point to it right in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. I can see hell. Mm-hmm. But then you look at the word behind it, and you find the word Gehenna. And the word Gehenna, or the Valley of Gehon, was an actual place. And that place should, if you, you know, are literate in your Bible, lead you to Jeremiah where Israel profaned itself or sinned by sacrificing children to gods, to false gods, in order to kind of like stop the impending Babylon Babylon problem. Hmm. They're about to go into exile. And God judged them for that. He said, you ultimately have missed the point. This is like the ultimate sin, right? The ultimate missing of the point. You're going to sacrifice to other gods don't you even understand why I've called Babylon to take you away? Wow. You were meant to be my image on the earth. My people. Into exile you will go. So Jesus here, again, is connecting us to a long story that goes back into the entire Bible. And most people would agree. Well, I shouldn't say most people. Um, Some people? Most scholars would probably agree with me here. Mm-hmm. Obviously, have I talked to most scholars? No. But from my understanding, most people think the Gospels were written at least after, most of the Gospels were written at least after the destruction of the temple. Because they reference it. Mm-hmm. Right? And so part of the way you date apocalyptic language in the Bible is you look at the predictions that they got right and the things that had that haven't happened historically. Isn't apocalyptic means revealing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because God is revealing to you what's really going on. Well, I'm, and I'm just saying that people may most likely go to the end of the world. It's true. In the ending days. So I just it's think true. it's important to explain that or define it. Yeah. And in a sense, apocalyptic, an apocalypse could be the end of the world in a sense that it could be the end of the way of the way we've done things. Mm-hmm. But it's never like there's nothing else or the end of everything. Right. Destruction. I think most people or most Christians will yeah. see it as destruction. Yeah. Or maybe like... Um, Especially destruction of Earth and sort of flying off to this <laughs> heavenly place. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. But just, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
And um, so Jesus here is tying us into a story. You know, he's talking about the impending destruction of the temple. And the impending destruction of the temple is kind of like the, the destruction of Israel as a people. Because without the temple, you know, at least according to the Bible, you, it's really hard to have Judaism because the temple is so central to Judaism. And it caused all types of controversies. And, it, you know, it, it actually birthed the great age of the rabbis because they had to deal with this. What's our identity without the temple? Hmm. What do we do now? The hmm. temple is gone. Um, and, you know, it, it rewrote Judaism hmm. in a sense, you know, where even today, uh, most Jews have never sacrificed any animal for any sin. You know, there's different traditions and customs that go on. Like we've been to, you know, Passover. Have we been to Passover? No. We, we went to a Friday dinner where they kind of did like a Seder kind of thing. What's a Seder? Like a, like a Jewish meal where we broke bread together and we passed it on the table. Oh, yeah. It was so Yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was so cool. Mm-hmm. It's like, why, why did we give this up? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, tra- it translated the whole identity of Israel. The destruction it was a huge deal i think most christians underemphasize how big of a deal it was and how a lot of these writings that we call the new testament um the most of the writings of paul probably happened before the destruction of the temple because mm-hmm. paul doesn't talk about it but the gospels probably came after many of paul's letters and you know it's like it came from that that cr- tremendous crisis of what do we do now hmm. Um, so Jesus is connecting us to a deeper story. And if we go to the book of Revelation, I always want to say the book of Revelations just to be cute, but I'm not going to do it. Actually, I guess I kind of just did. Not really. You did. It wasn't kind of. (laughs) I'm always afraid I'm going to say it. I'm like, oh no, people are going to think, you know, I think it's Revelations when people say Barnes and Nobles, mm-hmm. that also drives me crazy, and then I end up saying it. <clears throat> so in the book of Revelation, it talks about the city, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying now the dwelling of god is with men so again the dwelling of god is with men the city was coming down mm-hmm. right there's the restoration of heaven and earth and Key he word dwelling yeah and he will live with them this will be his people and god himself will be with them and be their god he will wipe every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away uh and then, you know, you get this idea of the river of life. So a little bit before that, in verse 11, 2011, it says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from the presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up their dead. That were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. So here we have death, right? Death being defeated, death opening up its gates. Uh, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. 
So what's thrown into the fire? Death and Hades. And then even earlier, in that same chapter, in verse 6, it says, Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has now no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So obviously this language is very symbolic and we're not going to have time to open up all of it. But there's a concept here that I think many of us miss, that there is possibly a second death. So I think when we think of hell as this place of torment for all eternity, where you're going to be punished for an infinite amount of time for something you did in a finite space, which seems absurd, uh, there is the potential that a person may choose still not to be redeemed, not to follow God. And that, in a sense, is like the second death. So if hell exists in any form... I don't think it's permanent. I don't think it's tormenting forever. I think in a sense, it's something that was once human, that had the potential to be human, that has chosen not to be human. What Uh, do you mean has chosen not to be human? Has chosen not to be uh, in the image of God. Has chosen Uh, to not be redeemed. I see. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, called this the last great monument to human dignity and choice. So if you... If you really read the Bible, you see now we've gone full circle. Even baked into God's creation was the possibility of choosing not to be with God, which was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And in the end, there's that same choice. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's still so much work I have to do on this, but this kind of gets into a little bit of a dangerous territory, where people will think that I'm I'm a progressive, I'm a universalist, that I think it doesn't matter what you do, everyone's going to be redeemed in the end, and everyone's going to, you know, be re- restored in the end and be with God. Everyone's going to be saved. Everyone's going to be... And uh, while I do think there is still choice, I think I'm kind of like a hopeful optimist Christian uh, in a sense where I, I do believe that somehow... Everyone's going to be redeemed through Jesus. Uh, that's kind of just where I've landed right now. I feel like there's always hope. I feel like the story of God is the story of hope in hopelessness. The story of faith in the sense of the impending doom and darkness. How there is light at the end when we thought we were maybe swallowed up by death. That I might sleep unless Jesus comes back to restore all things before I die. One day I'm going to go to sleep and I'm going to die. The Bible tells me I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be of Jesus. I don't know what that necessarily means. But when Jesus comes back and restores all things, even me is going to rise from the dead one day. And I think this story is for everybody. I think what Jesus did on the cross fundamentally changed the nature of reality and not just for Christians for everybody currently for me I'm seeing the meaning of hell Hmm. in a Christian's life right now which will be 
between your ears and that pit being what you think about yourself what you say about yourself and what you believe about yourself Mm. and it's casting those things out to start understanding what God is saying about the world yeah and stop zooming in (laughs) yeah I think hell as a concept is like what hell really is Mm -hmm. I think it's a choosing to go your own way Mm -hmm. choosing to not be truly human Mm -hmm. not be made in the image of God or not live like you're made in the image of God and I think it's just it's the big story of Genesis 1 to 11 you know of the world getting progressively worse and worse and worse and worse and I think a lot of people think those early stories are like oh wow God is so mad and fed up of everybody that even by page six everyone dies (laughs) you know in the flood you know but when you really read it and I think the Jewish study Bible is a great translation for this it says the end of all flesh came up before God it's at and it changes kind of the meaning of that story it's not man's wickedness necessarily or evil came up before God but the end of all flesh if we were allowed to go our own way we would have destroyed ourselves and I think in the modern world we're very conscious of that you know through our technology through our choices we have you we have a tremendous impact on the world around us you know with the advent of nuclear weapons we have the potential to destroy all life on this planet several times over. Right now. Right now. As in now. Now. Yeah. Today. It today. could happen today. It could, it could happen today. Mm-hmm. You know, like these are, these are things that I don't think even in the public consciousness, the public mass consciousness, we've, we've even wrestled with these ideas for very long. Because the idea of something so small, us, having an impact on something so large, the earth has seemed like absurd up until recent history, you know, where, you know, there's, there's been several mass extinctions that have happened on our planet. Mm-hmm. Some people think that we're living in the sixth or we're living currently in a great extinction. And the current cause is us. Because as we encroach more and more land, we take up more and more resources. Mm-hmm. We're blocking out other species and we're losing many species from the face of the earth. So in a sense, we're being very poor stewards. Uh, so the idea of all flesh coming up before God and that being caused by us, who were made in his image, I think is baked into the cake of the Hebrew scriptures of the story. It's there. It's in the beginning. That's hell on earth. Genesis 1 through 11 is describing hell on earth and God recreating it's like this isn't gonna they're gonna destroy themselves they have to do something to reset so then we have the flood and we have Noah you know and we have the waters of creation coming up and recreating the earth and then receding and life getting a chance to start over again and I think it in Jesus right that story has an ultimate ending mm-hmm. where the powers of darkness were allowed to exhaust their powers on Jesus and they were found to be not enough to destroy his hope and his truth and his love. And in the end, I think that's a powerfully compelling story that I think will bless the earth 
and it will restore all things regardless regardless of what type of church someone goes to yeah I, and also I believe this is the area where prayer and faith and Jesus because we we're not saying forget about prayer forget about your faith forget about Jesus's examples or forget about that because I, I think some people may think that oh you know you're what a great scholar right what a great great information but mm. what about your connection what about that and in times in, in prayer and this is, goes back to how God became king when he gives that challenge when he gives that challenge to read the gospel in one sitting I'm now trying and now I'm seeing where prayer comes in into because you are I am shifting I'm shifting from the way I um, I self-taught of how to read the scriptures into the new <clears throat> way or not in the new way just the way the, the who the authors were and you know like understanding the meanings going back to and connecting and seeing the whole uh, Bible as a story um, a unified story that leads to Jesus so yeah so I will I will say that this is this is where I see where you know prayer and in, in, in faith comes in because I, I, I feel like not feel you have been judged for this <laughs> <laughs> on a lack of connection and you you mentioned that when people were studying the Bible with you. Oh, me personally. Yeah. Yeah. Me personally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, like uh, you felt you started feeling bad. Like, am I doing something wrong? I'm not, wh- why am I not having the same response yeah. that Jesus died for my sins, for my sins, and me? And so, yeah. Yeah, and I think hell is a is um is a present reality. Yes. And I think when we go into the Bible. Again, like, you know, just focusing on the little bit at the end, the New Testament. Uh, and, you know, especially in Matthew, where we probably have most of the references of hell. From Jesus. From Jesus mm-hmm. in the New Testament. Um, I think we can we can immediately fill in that what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about hell is some place that I'm going to go. I could potentially go when I die. Mm-hmm. And the message of the gospel and the good news is that you don't have to go there. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go to this place of eternal torment. There's mm-hmm. another way. Where if, you know, you think of hell as something that can be a present reality, mm-hmm. and that's what it seems to be when you read the whole story, right? And you, then even understanding that when he says hell, he's usually saying the word Gehenna, which is an actual physical place. It was an actual historical moment in time where judgment came upon Israel for failing to living up, live up to its calling. You get a different perspective that this is a present reality that jesus is talking about and it changes the scriptures yeah maybe this is a good way to end this episode because um when i mentioned that i had a few questions i don't have it on papers so i don't have it in front of me Mm -hmm. but now that we're speaking about all the times that jesus talked about hell those were mainly my questions, what I gather from reading 
a gospel in one sitting. Yep. And so from the episode, I, I've done Matthew, I've done Luke, uh, and so I'm just missing John. John's the last one mm-hmm. that I hope to do for this week. Yeah, well, I, don't, I think, you know, you shouldn't be so hard on yourself, and I think people shouldn't be so hard on themselves, because this is, like, a profound misunderstanding that yeah. has, you know, really co-opted what was meant to be a Jesus movement, and it's made it something else. Right. And I think that we can all give ourselves a little bit of... Grace. Grace, slack, whatever you want to call it, and just be like, give us permission to not have all the answers just for a second mm-hmm. and just re-examine interactive discovery process yeah and just being like listen what's the big deal if i got some stuff wrong mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is does my knowledge well it is honey in our tradition because to them it's my ticket to eat i'm losing my ticket to go to heaven and right. now, because I got it wrong, I'm going to hell. Thanks so much, Jimmy. <laughs> well, you know, I think giving yourself permission to be wrong, I think, and to not know all the answers, and to follow Jesus, you know, into the scriptures. Mm-hmm. You know, because I was having a conversation with somebody uh, the other day, and uh, we were kind of talking about, like, okay, with all this stuff... Um, you know, somebody, he had shared uh, the video of Tim Mackey kind of outlining, um, you know, heaven and hell versus heaven and earth. His whole, like, thing that, you know, based a lot of what we've been talking about on that message and um, and on that study in particular. And he shared it with the person and the person was like, oh, yeah, I knew that already. Oh, my God. But then the person, I guess, sat, he was, and he just was like, okay, yeah, that's cool, man. That's great. I thought you would like it. And the guy went away and he thought about it. And he was like, wait, this is so different. This changes everything. Mm-hmm. And he kind of came to his own conclusion about it. And he's like, why can't we just go to a church that believes that? <laughs> and we, we both kind of had like a little chuckle over that because like, if only it was that simple. Mm. Exactly. You know, because there is there a church out there that actually believes that? I don't think there's many. Mm-hmm. I think most churches believe something else. Yeah. And with us taking a pause from attending these virtual meetings, Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't, it's, it's what currently right now we have decided to do. We do not want to create our own church. We do not want to create our own movement. Um, it's frustrating not being heard, being judged for it or misunderstood and i think that's the part that we're taking a break off because i think we we might have approached this in a very mm, radical way i don't know if that's a (laughs) word um we we're we're youth developers so we're our sense of humor you know like it's it may not been taken right you know, um, so we're just taking a bit of a pause of how to really start the conversation. And this is what gave birth to this podcast. Yeah. Uh, and whenever you're listening to this, 
I really hope that we are in a ministry in a community that's allowing to see the process the, the allowing to see the Bible as an interactive process of all the possibilities that we could have been wrong in so many different things yep. and how we're going to unlearn certain things and how we're gonna start uh, learning new ways absolutely um, I think perhaps for next episode mm-hmm. what might be a good thing to do would be to go and look at some of Jesus's words yeah where he seems to be talking about hell yeah and what does that mean if hell is an eternal destination mm-hmm. and what does hell mean if it's a present reality mm-hmm. and see if that changes the meaning of some of those scriptures yeah um, and so we're gonna focus mostly on the Sermon of the Mount And if you ever were looking for a practical application for scriptures, (laughs) I think the Sermon on the Mount is a great place to start. Mm. It's kind of like, you know, it was probably a collection of Jesus's teachings that were kind of like solidified. This might have been his like his main uh, speech, main presentation, his main PowerPoint, his keynote, his keynote. We don't do PowerPoint. Sorry. (laughs) His main keynote presentation that he would do uh, whenever he went into a new place. Mm -hmm. That's what some people think. Um, But, you know, he does seem to talk a lot there about hell. And again, you know, if he's talking about an eternal destination, it's very much more of a, you know, Greco-Roman idea. Mm -hmm. Um, Not really an idea that you find in the scriptures. Or if he's talking more, if he's echoing back more to, you know, Jeremiah... And the Valley of Gehon, or the Valley of Gehenna, uh, and a, about like a present reality that could that could be happening. How does that change the scripture? Does that sound like a good plan? Yes, it sounds like a good plan. Okay. Adios, muchachas. And muchacho rinos. <laughs>